If you have a Bible, please open up to Matthew 21. We'll have the scripture behind us on some page 977 in your red pew Bible. So welcome to Palm Sunday, everyone. This morning we are going to be taking uh, a fresh kind of look, hopefully in a meaningful way, not fresh for fresh sake, but hopefully in a meaningful way, uh, in, in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So to kind of help get our minds oriented this morning, um, have you ever walked into a room for a very specific reason, but as soon as you arrive, you have no idea why you walked into that room? Thank you. Okay, it happens to all of us, right? Or you're having some conversation, this is what I, happens to me. I'm having some conversation about something very, you know, some particular thing, say like baseball, and then like in five minutes, I catch myself like telling somebody about, I don't know, like a chair in my basement. And I'm just like, wait, like how did I get from baseball to chair in basement? I don't know. I have no memory. Um, Palm Sunday is, is essentially like a, like a prophetic uh, act of Christ. And what I mean by prophetic is that he is revealing or, or maybe you can say re-revealing the very heart of God the very nature of Jesus and his kingship, as well as the reason why the temple and the worship system and God, you know, gathering his people together in that place, like why it was all there to begin with. There's a good chance that even this morning, many of you are here just like, say, most weeks, and yet maybe you've kind of lost vision for why. I mean, it's a part of your life, it's an important part of your life, and you're, and you're here. Maybe it's kind of a new habit, or it's a, you know, a habit that happens sometimes in your life, but you just know it's good, you know you should be here, but maybe you've lost vision for like, yeah, like, why do we come here? Like, what is this whole church thing for? Because as we know, at the end of Holy Week on Good Friday, we know that Jesus was killed. He was delivered over by his own people because there was a, a loss of what king they were looking for, what the worship of God and his gathering his people, what, what was his revelation, what was happening. They, they kind of lost vision of these things. And when God himself showed up, they were excited as we're going to see and ready to receive him until they missed him and their expectations were not met and they did not quite understand why this Jesus was there, and they ultimately rejected him. They forgot the heart of God. They missed the heart of God, and they rejected him. So we're going to walk through this this morning, and just how they missed it, okay? Just warning, just there's a slight bit of nerdiness. I'm sorry, but I had to. Slight, like this much, all right? So just don't fall asleep on me. I, I hope it's meaningful, but it, sometimes you got to do a little homework to understand. These are 2,000-year-old stories, guys. Like, these are super old, okay? So it, sometimes it's hard to get super old stories and just make it make sense to 2022. So just bear with me a little bit here, but I, I hope it's something meaningful this morning. So beginning in, in chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, let's jump in. As they approached Jerusalem, this is Jesus, his disciples, and a large crowd with him, right? They approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, 
And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. It's the word of the Lord. Jesus was indeed the king of Israel. He was coming soon to be crowned king. The people knew he was in the lineage of David, like the, the, the important king, right, that God had anointed and set in place and said, your family will always be on this throne. He was in that family, right? And they anticipated Jesus to be coming to Jerusalem to reclaim that throne, Palm Sunday marked the final, or the beginning of the final week of his ministry, and as he walked into Jerusalem, this, this anticipation of the Messiah, this messianic anticipation was at an all-time high. And it was all due to the fact, for a number of reasons. Number one, Jesus had been doing some incredible stuff. I mean, if people saw him raise people from the dead, and people heard that he rose people from the dead, right? They, they heard that he was healing massive crowds. They heard he was feeding massive amounts of people from just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. They heard his teaching as one with authority about the kingdom of God that was coming. And people were like, yes, like this is, this is it. The king has come. I mean, who else could he be? Nobody's done things like this before. Nobody's taught like this man. This must be the Messiah that is to come. And also, let's talk about, it wasn't exactly peacetime in Jerusalem. It was kind of peaceful, but peaceful by force, if you know what I mean, by occupation, right? Uh, the Jews were not free at this time. Rome occupied Israel. They were not f entirely free. There were high priests. There was a religious system in place, sure. It was known for being very corrupt, but it was all also kind of on the watching eye of the Roman rulers and, of course, beneath Caesar himself. If there was a new king anywhere in sight, it's because Rome told him to be the new king, okay? So we got to think this is a pretty bold move from Jesus in doing what he was doing here. So here was Jesus, uh, his opportunity to kind of stroll into town, and we would think at least to kind of flex his muscles, like, I'm the new king, and I am coming to show Rome what it's all, this is what people were hoping for, right? They thought this, like, he's still coming here and kind of show who's boss, right? But as the crowd was following him and his disciples with him, they approached the Mount of Olives, which if you think of Jerusalem down here, Mount of Olives, kind of upward, gives you a scenic view of the city, and he says, go and find a donkey. Now, if you're the disciples, you would say, Wait, say it one more time. You said donkey? I don't know if that's going to cut it, Jesus. Like, you're a king. Like, you're coming in as a king. Like, this is, this, is, this is go time. Like, you don't stroll into battle on a donkey. They're slow. They're like this high off the ground. You'll be wobbling a lot because they're like really what? You don't go and pick a fight on a donkey. If you're on a donkey, you're assuming there's peace. Because you would lose, okay, if you try to fight on a donkey. You're assuming I'm walking into a peaceful situation. You're even making a statement, I'm bringing peace with me. 
I'm bringing humility with me. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm bringing humility. And so if you're the disciples, you'd be like, okay, unexpected. That's okay. We're just going to move on because surely, like, it'll it'll be good. It'll it'll all work out. He's going to be the king. Okay, the donkey thing's strange, but Jesus, sometimes he can be strange. That's okay. The donkey's fine. Let's, let's, Let's go with this, right? All the while, Matthew points out, Many centuries before, the Old Testament prophets, they, they, they told us this would happen. They told the Jews this was coming, right? Out of Zechariah, this, this passage, say to the daughter of Zion, to, to my people, your king is coming to you, but he's coming in a gentle way. He's riding on a donkey. It's going to be easy to miss it. Because it's natural to want to look for a king on a war horse, but he's saying, no, he's going to come on a donkey. Keep your eyes open. You just might miss it, right? So this is how Jesus chooses to enter. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's fulfilling prophecy, right? But as he's coming, even on the donkey, the city is still stirred up. They're like excited. They're ready for this moment. They've been looking forward to this. Let's get rid of the Romans. Let's go. And verse 8, this is what's going on. There's like a lot of irony happening right? There's a great crowd. They're spreading their cloaks down on the road while others cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is just a in all our different translations and it comes from the, the phrase of the Hebrew phrase, save us. Psalm 118, save us son of David. This is what they're saying. Save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? Some people, they weren't aware. Like, what is going on? Who is this guy coming in? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus. This is the prophet from Nazareth, from Galilee. The palms were swinging in part due to what they were chanting coming from that Psalm 118. It was, like we said, it was a, a liturgical psalm, right? Whenever they went on the pilgrimage to the high holy days, to especially in the Passover season, this was the stuff that they chanted over and over. It was a psalm of anticipation saying one day God is going to show up and save us. Like he's going to come and rescue us. And we're looking forward to this, right? So recognizing Jesus as the son of David, they're saying save us. Like this is it. Do it. Let's go. Save us. Blessed is Jesus who's coming in the name of the Lord. The whole, everybody was so stirred up, right? And people are laying their cloaks down. But again, he's on a donkey, right? He's on a donkey. He's making a statement. I'm here in peace. Pay attention, crowds, but they're still chanting. It's almost like maybe Jesus is right here, and they're like kind of chanting at this Jesus who isn't actually there, but they're missing the real, but they're looking for something else. It just makes sense. So we'll move on here. It's kind of like this, all right? You ever watched a movie that you're expecting one thing, and you're like, at the very beginning, you're like, huh, I didn't expect this. I'm just going to try to stick with it, and maybe it'll like redeem itself. Uh, so when we first got married, that Indiana Jones and the um, Crystal Skull movie came out that we already forgot about because it was terrible. Um, when I was a kid, I was a huge Indiana Jones fan. You know, I had my hat and, you know, when I was seven years old and was in my backyard, you know, that was my, one of my things when I was a kid. And so we get married and I, I bring my childhood with me to my new wife. And I'm like, we got to go see this Indiana Jones. It's great. She's like, okay, whatever. She has no interest. 
And I remember seeing the theater and it's starting and I'm just like, oh no, like, this is going to be terrible. This is nothing of what I expected it to be. I had all this anticipation. I'm just like, no, they couldn't have ruined this. And I was like, I'm just going to stick it out. I'm here, whatever. And it was just, ugh. Okay, and we already forgot about the movie. But the whole idea is that you have this expectation, right? And it's just not meeting it, but you're like, I don't know. I really want this to be what I wanted it to be. I'm just going to kind of press through this, okay? And I imagine that's kind of like how the crowds were seeing Jesus. Like, this isn't quite it. Like, I I wasn't expecting this. I'm going to try to stick with this and see where this is going because we really need a Savior from Rome right now. We really need our Messiah to show up. But as this movie keeps rolling, as Jesus is, as he continues on in his donkey, this movie gets stranger, okay? It gets even weirder because he goes into the temple complex. It's about three football fields in length, this massive complex, right, of stone with the building right in the middle. And he walks into the temple complex and he famously starts flipping tables, Now, other Gospels say that he had made his own whip when he did this. And some nerdy people out there did their works. Like, to make a whip in those days, like, took a lot of time, okay? We don't see the whip here, but he was thinking about this for some time. This wasn't just like um, an action out of emotion, okay? Like, this was a pre-planned action from Jesus for this moment— as a prophet, like he's acting like a prophet, and he wanted to communicate something to Israel that to our ears we might miss. Bear with me, we're going to work through this. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area, and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. If you're the crowd, you would say, whoa, wrong people, Jesus. Like those are, that's us. I thought you were here to go after the other, like the Romans, like those people. Like this is our temple, this is our place. Uh, Why don't you flip the tables of the Romans? Like what's going on here? This is another unexpected move from Jesus. But let's talk about this. What's up with the money changers? What's up with the buying of the animals happening in the temple? Around 40 times, if you read the Old Testament law, God said, when you bring a sacrifice to me, it has to be a perfect, unblemished animal. Like, no blemish whatsoever. That's what I accept. Now, a lot of people traveled a lot of miles, okay? If you came from Jesus' hometown up in Galilee, that was 80 miles, now, there's no cars back then. How did you get there? You walked, okay? So if you brought your sheep from Galilee 80 miles and you're sleeping out in the stars, there's a, good, there's a lot of different opportunities for your sheep, your animals to, you know, wolf comes up and bites or the thing trips and breaks his foot. And you're like, oh, my animal's blemished. Now I gotta go get a new, what do you do? So how they fixed this was they actually, you know, brought money instead of animals because they were selling animals really close to the place of worship to reduce that space and so these animals wouldn't get hurt or blemished when they got there and they had their 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 coinage from israel or for the romans excuse me and to go to the temple you need the the temple coinage so they had to exchange their money so basically what i'm trying to say is it was normal to have the people selling animals and some money changers maybe they were you know trying to 
kind of make it like a McDonald's franchise thing. I don't know. We don't know a whole lot. Maybe they were making it more commercialized. There's probably some of that. But the reality is that was expected. It was normal. Some people thought this is actually not a bad idea, what they were doing. It's makes our worship pure. So what was really going on then? Why did Jesus go after them and start flipping tables? So bear with me. Just for a little bit, say 30 minutes, 45 minutes, however long, when he was flipping tables of the animals selling, of the money changers, sacrifices stopped. He was actually stopping sacrifices in the temple. Just for a brief moment, he made it stop. Now, if you're, you know, Jewish and you're going to the temple to worship, that's a huge no-no. Like, you don't stop the sacrifices. That's, that's the worst nightmare of them, that things would stop in Jerusalem. And Jesus stopped them by flipping over the, ch- the money tables, flipping over the, the, the buying and selling of animals, and sacrifices stopped just for a little bit. And listen to his words. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And here's the nerdy bit. You have to listen to me. The word robbers, okay? Yeah, that robbers is one way to translate it, but just time and time and time again, if you look at how that word is used in the world to Jesus, it referred to people who, yeah, maybe they waited in caves and robbed some people, sure, but there was more going on with these groups that were called, uh, is lestus was the word, and these were actually people that were violent, and they were ready to start like coups and start a revolution. Like That's how the word is referring to people that were called by that name, okay? So he's saying that this temple like, has become a hotbed for people who are ready to start a coup, like, violently. And this is the place that they've chosen to do it, right? And he's actually hearkening back to Jeremiah 7, if you want to do, go read that, if you will. When basically, when, they, when these early Jews were thinking about the temple, thinking about God's presence, thinking about, you know, why is the temple here? Why is God's presence with us? It's to get violent and overthrow these Romans in the name of God. And guess what? They actually tried to do that, like 30 years later. And they failed, and the temple was destroyed, okay? But Jesus comes in here, he stops the sacrifices, and he says, this whole, like, what you guys, you're missing everything. This is not why this place is here. This place is not here to start political coups and to go violent. It's like you're missing. This is a house of prayer. This is a place where people are to be ministered to. This is a place elsewhere, and I think Luke actually says, this is a house of prayer for all nations. Why would he say all nations? It's a house of prayer for the Romans too. Right? That's what Jesus was saying. For all people. This is a house of prayer, not for this. You got the idea of this all wrong. You're missing why this temple is actually here. And he shows him this by showing that this is what should be taking place here, right after this. He's very methodical. He knows what he's trying to communicate here, right? Um, Verse 14, he does this. He says, "The, the blind and the lame... They came to him at the temple. Now, these are people who weren't exactly welcome because they were also blemished people, right? But he brings the, the blemished into the temple and he ministers to them and he's healing them. But when the chief priests and the teacher of the law, they, they saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They got mad 
right? There's like, this, this doesn't belong here, Jesus, you healing these blind people and, and children, like singing your praises. Like, this isn't supposed to be here in the temple, right? Otherwise, all these other ideologies and things were taking place that were, so, but Jesus was saying, those don't belong here, but the things that do belong here, you know, ministering to people, healing people, worshiping, singing, children singing his praise, they got mad, like that doesn't belong here. And Jesus once again pointed them to the scriptures and said, maybe you never read the Bible, chief priests, that's what basically Jesus was saying. Have you ever read Psalm 8? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. So here's the idea. When he was stopping sacrifices, as any good prophet did in the Old Testament, he was visualizing his message. He was saying, if you don't get your act together, if you don't wake up and see the work of God in front of you, not only are you going to miss it, right? If you don't align the function of this place to be what God wants it to be, judgment just might come. And these sacrifices, the whole thing might actually just stop altogether. And it did, right? It's about 40 years later, 70 AD, it did stop. So in the back end of our sermon today, as we walk through all of that, there are some questions, I believe, okay, that uh, we really need to, to, to address as the church today. It is this. Why are we here like, what is, the, what is the purpose of this place? What is the purpose of us gathering? What is the purpose of the, the presence of the church in this world? Why do we take communion here? Why do we baptize people? Why do we want to have Bible studies? And why do we sing music like we just did? Why do we have a building like this? Why do we do, you know, the, like the stuff that churches do? Like, if you go around to the churches, there's going to be similarities between us all. Why? Like, why do these things happen? Like these early Jews, the very familiar forms of worship in the temple were continuing on, but in their hearts, slowly. I mean, they were in some pretty rough circumstances, okay, beneath the tyranny of an empire, I get that. But they slowly, over time, began developing ulterior motives in their worship. And when Jesus, God in the flesh, actually showed up, they missed him because they were looking for something else entirely. That even brought the, 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 the worship system taking place to be about something else, to think God's presence is here for this reason when he was really here for that reason. And so when Jesus shows up, they end up killing him because they're like, you need, you need to get out of here. Like, this isn't what, no, we don't, we don't need you. You're causing problems. Get out of here, right? The very ones that should have recognized Jesus did not. Even all the while, they were being really good religious people. They were doing all the right things. They were doing all the right religious actions, but still Jesus shows up, and they miss the fact that he is God in the flesh entirely. Now, could we, as the church today, be guilty of similar things here? Could we also, if we are not careful, make church be about different things slowly over time so that ultimately we, if Jesus were to walk forward today, that we would miss who he is. And just like these early Jews, we would have our own expectations of who Jesus would be. And even all the while, we're doing the right church kind of things, but if he were to walk in, we wouldn't even recognize him. Maybe for a brief moment, we would, we would respond, but he wouldn't meet our expectations and we would end up walking away from him, just like these early Jews did. 
So questions surface here. What are your expectations of Jesus? Have you considered that he may not fulfill your expectations, even if he walked down this aisle this morning? You may sing. We may be excited about him, rightfully so. We may continue to do the things that churches do, but... and. Um, the question would be like, would he break your expectations all the while if he showed up? And why is this an important question, right? If Jesus walked up in our church, would he want to like stop our church service? Stop the music for a minute. And just be like, whoa, like hold up. Stop. Like you guys are missing it here. Just hold on. That's what he was basically doing in the temple. It's like, pause. Let's stop. Let's revisit some of the basics here. Would that happen if he walked into our churches today? and have a prophetic warning for us. Look, the blind and the lame were in the temple complex, right? In those days, the blind and the lame were considered cursed by God. This is just one thing that they missed. They were considered cursed, okay? And yet there was Jesus in the holiest of places gathering those cursed people to places where they should not be, and he was healing them. And then the children, we see children surface time and time again in the Gospels. There they were, dancing and singing the praises of Jesus, and Jesus was like, this is awesome. I love it. And people are like, no, get him out of here. And he was like, no, God wants them here. Like, they're singing because God told them to. And all the religious people were mad. They were staring, thinking like, what is Jesus, what is this guy doing, right? What is he doing. So the message of Palm Sunday is, is here in this conversation, okay? And so to revisit those questions, why are we here as a church? What are we looking for? Do the things that take place among us and even within this building truly reflect the heart of God? There's a culture of this church and even the churches that brought in our country, do they, do they, in our nation, do they truly reflect the heart of God? And I, I, I sincerely mean this. Like I I I want you to just pause. I want you to consider this question, like why are you sitting here in the pew this morning? What truly drove you here? If it's for the 500th time or for the second time, right? Why are you here? I I, want to look at, there's a couple of times in scripture that we have like summary statements of like what all this is about, okay? They're there. And I want to look at a couple this morning. There's a lot more I could have went, this is like five sermons packed in one, but I'm going to look through some of these summary statements, okay? Because these are kind of like the, the filters, okay? If there's any kind of way to, um, uh, you know, check a list to say like, all right, like we're, we're hopefully aiming in, in the direction of God here. Like it, there's some verses that kind of help us do that, okay? So one of them is found in Hosea 6, verse 6, but certainly I believe is swarming in the mind of Christ as he walks in this temple and is flipping over everything. Hosea 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I think we could exchange his words and say, I desire steadfast love and not just church attendance. I desire you to truly know me rather than just only writing those big tithe checks. I, des- I desire your love and your devotion and your, and your zeal than merely just adding another Bible study to your already too busy schedule. Now, of course, none of those things are bad. I hope that you guys have those patterns and those things in your life. They're certainly part of worship. They certainly help cultivate those things, right? But they can, they can become empty, 
They can become almost meaningless and just out of mere habit. If we don't revisit that question of why are we doing this again? Like what is this all about? What is this church thing all about? When doing church things does not mean you are actually doing the very things Jesus asked his people to do. And that's kind of the question I'm asking this morning. Another one is Micah 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Another one, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now that's your motivation, right? Another one, Luke 9, 23 through 24. And Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, must take up their crosses daily, like every single day, and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose his life. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the heart of Christ, bear one another's burdens. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the law and the prophets. In other words, depends this, like all of it. That's it. This is this. Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So when we think about this church, if someone were to say, describe your church to me, like what is it like? Would you go and list all the stuff we do? Like we have Bible studies, we have this, we have a service, we have blah, 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 we have blah, 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 blah. Or would it be something like, it's full of a bunch of imperfect people who are merciful, who were trying to love God, trying to continually just shine all the light on Jesus Christ. People who were trying to die to themselves and ask the Spirit to control all of their heart and all of them while they go and bear the good news of Jesus on their own shoulders through bearing one another's burdens, just like he bore ours. It's full of people who are trying to love God with all of their heart, who are just trying to, to share that love to their neighbors in the same sacrificial way that God has loved us. And they're excited to tell other people about Jesus. It's a group of people that when I show up, they, they love me. They love, like I see in their love, the love of Christ. And that love is not just for like, you know, 40 minutes on Sunday morning. But I get phone calls and visits and people reach out during the week to say, hey, how you doing? How can I pray for you? Because the love of Christ, it, it now is it, filling my life because of these people. Is that what comes to mind when we think of church? Because we're getting closer and closer then to the heart of why God has gathered us and why he has pulled us together here on this earth. That's the vision for why church is here. So much more could be said, but that's a good uh, uh, summary things, right? Yeah. I, I, I hope those Bible studies, those weekly services, the money we give to the Lord here, they are necessary things. I hope they are, they are fuel for what we all just mentioned. If not, I wonder if Jesus would show up here and try to stop, you know, services around the country and say, hey, you've 
you've lost the reason. Like you, you, you've, you're missing it. You got the, the right actions down, but you're, you're, you're missing my heart. And if you miss his heart, you're in danger of missing him. Now, I want to try to tell an analogy of this and then close here. Um, I have a picture behind me of this. There's a cathedral in Milan, Italy. It's called the Milan Cathedral. That technically just received its finishing touches around 47 years ago, 1965. But here's the, the, that's more than 47 years ago, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm from Georgia, that's my excuse. We don't do math in Georgia. Um, But here's a fascinating part. You know when this started being built? Like what year? 1386. 579 years to finish that building. You look at it, like, yeah, it looks it. It's pretty incredible. 579 years. Now go read the long story for yourself. It's really fascinating because a lot's happened in 579 years in Italy, right? But construction continued throughout the centuries when there was a clear understanding of why they were building it. And then suddenly when the next generation would come, they lost vision for why it was even being built in the first place and construction just stopped and it just was abandoned and just sat there until another generation came and said, we got to finish this beauty. Let's do this. And they get to work on it yet again. But now, just imagine this, okay? That around like 1900 or something, I don't know, some guy named Gino walks up and is like, what we need is a pizzeria. And, and they look at this cathedral and he's like, let's make this to like the best pizzeria in Italy. And he puts like a giant pizza like spinning on top and he puts pizza ovens and Tuesday night karaoke, you know, that kind of thing. And imagine the guy who started building this. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the guy, just bear with me, time travels, he shows up, okay, and, and it's 1905 or something, and, and the guy's like, how's my project doing? Like, how, how is this going? And he sees a pizza, like, spinning, and the big neon signs, like, pizza, pizza, and he's like, whoa, what happened? This is not what I had in mind. Like, no. And he starts flipping the pizza ovens, Right? You get the idea. We must not lose vision as to why Jesus put us here. We must not lose vision for why he gave us the Holy Spirit. We must not lose vision. I pray that Jesus could walk into our church and say, yes, I know this isn't a perfect church. No church is. But you guys have the heart. You're, you're giving your, your, your all your love and heart and mind and soul and strength. Yes. You're trying to spread the good news to your neighbors, people in your church who are suffering and hurting. You're bearing their burdens. Yes, this is what I had in mind when I sent my spirit down. I hope you wouldn't show up to the churches around us, to our church, and say, I don't even recognize this place. As we close this morning, I'm going to call the worship team to come up and close us in song. Every week we have a time of prayer where we, we ask people to come forward to, to receive prayer. And I want to speak um, uh, directly to, to all in this room. Okay, if, if you're sitting here and, and, you're, and you're a faithful member and have been for quite some time, I'm grateful for your faithfulness. But I just don't want to assume that your, your outward actions of faithfulness is, is a, a, a direct mirror of the zeal in your heart. 
Because we all can learn to play that religious game of just learning the right Christian things to do when our heart is getting farther and farther and farther away. My prayer this morning is even right now that the Holy Spirit would just kind of be grabbing your heart and say, I need you to wake up. Like, I have so much more for you. Like, just don't go through these motions. Like, wake up, open your eyes, I'm in front of you. What needs to come down in your heart for you to to reach out and just grab me and say, take all of me, Jesus, whatever it takes, take me, have me. I'm just sick of of just trying to chase after other things to fill that void. I need you. I know I've learned all the right Christian things to do, but God, I, I need you to take me now. If that's you this morning, I, I, I'm asking you to come forward in this time of prayer to be prayed for, to be ministered to, to help fan what the Spirit is speaking to you this morning. If you're here with just uh, a a, a young history in the church, you're trying to learn what all these things are about, I'm happy you're here. And I ask that the Holy Spirit now is speaking to you, saying you you have a a part to play in this. Like you, like God wants a, a deep relationship with you. Like he wants to turn your life upside down because there's people out there that are hurting that need to know who I am. And I've gifted you with amazing things. And I have even even more gifts to gift you through the giving of the Holy Spirit to go and to send you out as my ambassador. And you don't even know the joy that awaits you if you're willing to give your life to me. If you're anywhere on that scope that I just described or anywhere in between, we're going to sing a song. Please don't hesitate to come up and to be prayed for. People will be available to pray for you this morning. So let me, let me uh, close. Uh, Jesus, as we said earlier, this, this, early this morning, I just, I didn't want us just to have a worship service. I wanted us to have an encounter with you this morning. Because there's, there's multiple people in this room right now, you know who you are, that need it. That need the fresh winds of the Holy Spirit to fill them. And Lord, I ask that you do so. In a great way of power that that, that person, those people in this room have not experienced in quite some time that they know it's not because of the the great music or the great sermon or this, but it's because of you, it's because that you met them as they were sitting here this morning. Lord, help Emmanuel to fulfill the call that you have for the church. We say it time and time again with our big steeple just right above us as we sit in this room. That it wouldn't be just a mere steeple, but it would be taking on the symbolism of that lighthouse that just surrounds our prayers here. We want that. I want that. Jesus, help us to do so. But that begins with the house of God with us. Help us to love like you. Help us to minister to each other like you have ministered to us. Help us to bear each other's burdens like you bore our burdens. And Lord, surround us with people this week who need to know your good news and need to feel it, need to experience it through us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your wonderful and mighty and majestic and holy name, the name above all names. Amen.
Oh, oh, oh. 